So the, the name on the label says pomegranate blueberry in big, bold print with 100% juice strategically placed in a similarly aggressive font right next to the name. Now, in much smaller print down below was an explanation that the product was a flavored blend of five fruit juices, where in actual fact, the product contained an eyedropper full of pomegranate juice and even less blueberry juice. In its original incarnation, I believe, it was, uh, it was white grape juice and apple juice. But, uh, I, uh, you know, there was a period of time in which uh, huge amounts of concentrated apple juice, not frozen concentrated, I think it's, uh, you know, concentrated in some other way, f was coming into China so, I mean, coming from China into the U.S. so cheaply that China was hit with anti-dumping duties on it. I think the formula changed so that it became almost all or more than 90%, 99% uh, apple juice. And then uh, pomegranate and blueberry were, uh, you know, an eyedropper, 0.3% and 0.2%, uh, according to this lawsuit. So uh, the, a company that makes a pomegranate juice product called Palm Wonderful, and it's in the usually in the refrigerated section. There's another section in which they have uh, drinks very similarly labeled. Ocean Spray and other country companies have uh, drinks that are very similarly labeled. Uh, have their, But this is uh, a product, Palms product, that's typically sold in the refrigerated section. And one of their main competitors there is uh, Coke's Minute Maid unit, which I believe Minute Maid uses the, uh, uh, you know, Coke's Minute Maid unit, uh, are the ones that had the product that was labeled, uh, you know, pomegranate blueberry 100% juice. Uh, and they were, and Palm Wonderful sued Blue Bear uh, Coke under a 1946 law called the Lanham Act, which is a federal statute that protects businesses damaged by false advertising, false product descriptions, and false representations about the nature of a, of a product or service. And uh, what Coke, and so this is a lawsuit that was. Uh, that had gone, uh, you know, Coke had tried to get the lawsuit uh, thrown out saying that since they their label met the FDA requirements uh, for labeling a product of this type, that it should be exempt from the Lanham Act suits. And uh, the oft overturned, I think in the, in the last full year, which is the kind of the, the year that ended uh, as I'm giving this uh, presentation in, in the fall of 2014, uh, which ended in October 13th, I think that they, they uh, didn't get a single vote. Uh, supporting like all of, they had 8-0 decisions for Coke, 8-0 decisions uh, against them uh, during that time of the, the, the Ninth Circuit Court. Uh, but the Ninth Circuit Court issued an opinion offering extremely broad or very broad exemptions from Lanham Act suits for products covered by more specific federal statutes, uh, or, or in this particular case, it's the uh, FDCA, which is the FDA uh, enabling legislation that allows the FDA to, uh, to, you know, to come up with rules for labels and develop rules and regulations regarding labeling and, and fair labeling and other types of things. Now, the, the Supreme Court heard the case in April of 2014. 
And I wrote an article for uh, to, to be presented uh, next month at the Atlantic Marketing Conferences based on the uh, the oral arguments before the court, and I was you know speculating as to to what the res- the decision would be, and I wrote. Uh, about the ramifications for a a for marketing strategy and for people in the marketing fields of different Palm victory scenarios. You know whether there was a very narrow victory for Palm or a very broad victory for Palm. You know depending on the the breadth of the decision, what the ramifications would be. But I felt at the time that there would be huge ramifications for uh, you know fair labeling and uh, and then that a very broad decision might extend into many other areas, for example, false advertising, and uh, just in general, false claims about a product. Maybe uh, false claims about what's in the product, or false claims about what the product does, or anything like, uh, or, or things like that. And companies, in, in, in essence, a company may be able to meet the FDA requirements for a label. Maybe, it, but if the label is substantially false or if the information about the product in an advertisement is substantially false, then a competitor could claim that they were damaged and bring uh, Lanham Act suits uh, against that. So uh, in the court case, Palm was represented by uh, sex Seth Waxman, uh, and Palm you would call the, the in legal arguments the petitioner, and Palm's argument was that they made a market uh, for this product for you know 100% pomegranate juice, and sold in a uh, they you know got the the slotting space in grocery stores and it was sold in the refrigerated section. Uh, in an area near or around or uh, next to uh, Coke's Minute Maid uh, units uh, brands, and of that by misrepresenting the character of the of the good that it sells, Coke uh, was cre- you know committing a, a, a tort under the Lanham Act, and that that would be the and that that Palm Wonderful should be able to sue for damages under the the Lanham Act. And you know, in this arguments, he pointed out that that uh, you know Coke's product contained only a a, a teaspoon and a, and a half gallon of the products that were on the name, and they had some data from the survey saying that uh, a substantial portion of the population was deceived, thirty percent or one third, somewhere in that range, were deceived. And he finished by saying, you know, the the key issue here is that the consumers have no way in in God's green earth of knowing that the total amount of blueberry and pomegranate juice in this product can be dispensed by a single eyedropper. And, uh, you know, the Kennedy and some of the others challenged him about, uh, the you know, the FDA and, and the fact that, uh, you know, could an FDA label uh, be challenged under that? And, and uh, you know, uh, Justice Kagan went along and said, you know, the FDA went through a long, you know, according to their brief, and the FDA has actually had one of the three groups represented in this through the uh, uh, a, a solicitor general's office. They actually had their own lawyer. I mean, you know, they had a lawyer representing the government. So there were literally three different lawyers making uh, presentations and answering questions at oral arguments at the Supreme Court. So then Kagan noted that, you know, well, the FDA went through a supposedly a long, thoughtful process and came up with rules saying what is permissible and what's not permissible. And, and his point was that the FDA rules were a floor and not a ceiling. Uh, 
In other words, the FDA, you can meet the minimum of, a, of the FDA rules, but still have a label that was, uh, that, you know, still had a label that was dishonest or that misrepresented what the product was. So Alito asked, what if the percentage were much higher, say 50%? Uh, and, you know, well, uh, or are you... And Waxman said that, that under Lanham, uh, you couldn't probably couldn't sue, couldn't prevail in a Lanham Act suit because uh, the label then would, would not really necessarily be, uh, be false or be a lie. And so uh, the, the more telling part of the case were the exchanges between uh, the, 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 the justices and the, 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 the poor presenters, Melissa Sherry, the Solicitor General's office, and Kathleen Sullivan uh, on behalf of Koch, both of whom are well, highly respected lawyers who have, you know, made uh, arguments before the Supreme Court, uh, you know, general before. Uh, the Solicitor's General's brief was, was ostensibly neutral, but their argument supported Coke for a broad exemption of products meeting the FDA standards. Uh, although, you know, they, in their, their, they had a 30-page thing that they had submitted with this, and they agreed with the petitioner, they agreed with Palm, uh, in, in many of the main elements, and they didn't argue for as broad an exemption as the Ninth Circuit had given. Uh, but what Sherry argued was that the FDA, under its, under its authorization, the FDCA, is responsible only for not only for public health, but also for misbranding, false and misleading labeling, and it took a lot of time, and it went through an intricate process, which ultimately rejected and ultimately led to the rejection of rules that will require the, 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 the name juices, the percentages of the name juices to be on the labels or, or require them in, in the ingredients to give the percentages. And Alito challenged saying, you don't think there are a lot of people uh, who buy pomegranate juice because they think it has health benefits and they would be surprised to find when they bring this bottle home that it's got a picture of pomegranate on it and it says pomegranate on it and it's what, less than one half of one percent pomegranate juice. The FDA didn't think that would mislead consumers and he, he asked that question. Uh, and, and the the uh, the FDA, if, if you say, okay, who came out looking really bad in this? And I'll talk about Coke a little bit later, and it's one of the things I probably ask my my uh, students when they consider this question. You know, in in terms of uh, in a marketing context, in a course, you know, one of the things I I will ask them is, you know, why did Coke do this? And a little bit on that more on that later. But uh, the FDA came out looking really bad in this. I mean, the, the fact that they uh, and you wonder. As of course, I have no evidence of that, and I'm, I'm speculating only. But uh, you wonder how many of the people who thought about those rules and came up with the rules that allowed what has happened to happen over the many years, and not just in this field, but many other fields. How many of those people uh, retired to lucrative consulting contracts with uh, the, the the ocean sprays and the and the cokes of the world, or uh, became executives there soon after they made these decisions? You know, you wonder uh, how the decision how anybody could make a decision that this kind of label or, or this kind of uh, uh, thing would be okay. So now more telling to the final outcome may be an exchange between Sherry and Kagan. Uh, Sherry, you know, for the Solicitor General's and uh, Supreme Court Justice Kagan. Kagan argued that there would be no conflict between the Lanham Act and suits like Palm's and the FDA if they accepted uh, Palm's view that the FDA was setting a floor instead of a ceiling. And she went on to say, uh, and you talk a lot about uh, 
you know, uh, the FDA specifically considering this uh, a more honest label for juices, and it decided not to have a more honest label for juices. And you put a lot of emphasis on the process. And my question to you is that the way you are saying we should know whether the FDA has set a floor or, or set a ceiling is that we're supposed to look at the process and figure out whether the FDA specifically rejected a more extensive proposal, a more aggressive proposal in terms of the labeling. And Sherry's response was, said, no, I, I, you look to whether or not allowing the claim to go forward would complement what the agency has done or actually conflict with what the agency has done. And here, if you accept Palm's argument, there's going to be a real conflict between, you know, people meeting the FDA uh, uh, requirements and then, but still being sued under Lanham. So uh, when now, uh, when Koch, whose representative was Kathleen Sullivan, uh, their got to make their argument. And what they said basically was that they met the FDA standards and that that should exempt them from Lanham Act suits, positing that a, a single standard uh, for what is uh, fair labeling was what Congress intended in setting up the SDA, FDA's rulemaking authority, in this case, via the FDCA. And Justice Kennedy asked her, is it part of Koch's narrow position that national uniformity in labels that it consist in labels that cheat the consumer like this one did? So you, you have a Supreme Court justice in oral argument saying this label cheats consumers. And followed and he followed this up with, I think it's important for us to know how the statute works. And if the statute works in the way you say it does and that Coca-Cola stands behind this label as being fair to consumers, then I have, think you have a very difficult case to make. And I think it's relevant for us to ask whether people are cheated in buying their product. Because Coke's position is to say, even as there are, even if they are, even if people are cheated when they buy this product, there's nothing we can do about this. And he asked her, do you still have this label? Now, I actually looked for this product and wanted to bring it in. Now, there are other pom you know, stuff like this. In fact, the, the aisle with juices is full of stuff like this, that, that if you look at it first, you think it's something other than what it really is. Nevertheless, this particular product I could not find in store, but uh, the, 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 the attorney for uh, Coke said it's not, it's, it's changed in non-material aspects. And I think since this suit started way back in like 2005, uh, you know, the, the, the issue of more apple juice and uh, less uh, white grape juice. Uh, but there, but basically the no aspect of the label covered by the claims has changed. So essentially she's saying they have the same label. And Chief, Chief Justice Roberts said, I don't know why it's impossible to have a label that fully complies with the FDA records and also happens to be misleading on the entirely different question of commercial questions. Consumer confusion has nothing to do with health. And, and Ginsburg would later ask, I would, I would like you to respond to this question. In the real world, the FDA has a tremendous amount of things on plates, and labels for juices are, are, are not really high on its list. There's very limited research. You have to take what it said about juices of blessing this label, saying it's not misbranding, when its regulations aren't reviewed by the court, when there's no private right of action, and say that that overtakes the Lanham Act. It's really hard to conceive that Congress would have done that. And so uh, I, as I wrote this article for, uh, you know, just based on oral arguments and, and was looking kind of for what would happen, I was hoping that the decision would come out. I think the decision was originally expected uh, much later than it was, but the decision came down very early since the oral arguments were held in April and the decision comes out in June. 
And so that's a very quick time frame. And one of the reasons the decision was so quick was that it was unanimous. And the decision was a unanimous eight to nothing victory for Palm. And it was a very broad victory. And there were implicit and explicit criticisms of uh, the FDA and of, uh, of, of Coke and uh, of, you know, the whole process. And the, the court essentially felt, uh, and then there was, a, you know, the kind of another issue that came up a little bit later that's a kind of a legalese type of thing is, is the, the, the issue of deference where the court, you know, where an agency has been set up by an act of Congress to create laws. FDA in this case, uh, and this, but this now, this also, this is where the broad ruling part of it, it, it comes in. It also applies to the FCC, which is the, the agency that, you know, regulates false advertising and other false claims, uh, you know, false business claims. So the, traditionally the court has given deference, and they even have an expression called Chevron deference where if the agency is set up by law to regulate something, then the courts generally give them a wide latitude and accept their expertise and their decisions regarding this type of labeling. So uh, the decision that came down challenged, first of all, limited the amount of deference. Uh, clearly, it was a limit to the amount of deference that they're going to give to government agencies in making decisions. And it also allowed Lanham Act uh, claims to go through in a wide variety. I mean, a narrow ruling would have allowed specific types of Lanham Act claims like this. But in, in, in the, uh, the, the the, you know, the ruling, the unanimous ruling the Supreme Court came out with in June. And unfortunately, that's like in the middle of the summer and I'm on vacation. I'm not even in Johnson City. And I would have liked to have come and done this then, talked about this then, but it's still relevant. I think beyond a few egghead types and legal types who, who saw what a huge thing this could be, uh, there hasn't really been a lot of interest among the marketing professorate over this. And I don't really think they realize what a really big deal uh, this could be. Uh, this could turn out to be this particular decision might lead to a lot of changes in the way that uh, marketing and, you know, not just product labels, but also what's in products and the honesty of that. And then also uh, false advertising or misrepresentations about what a product can do or won't do. And we may see a lot of Lanham Act suits over that kind of thing uh, where, you know, companies are called to called to, to question. I think if you if you watch the the articles in the popular press in Bloomberg and in other areas about this, they generally thought this is going to be good for the consumer. And I think the Supreme Court felt that they were going to be doing something good for the consumer. So uh, in the next section, in the second session of this, the second session of this, I'm going to be talking about uh, what the the ramifications for uh, of this decision are for the marketing, the you know people in the real world, for businesses, for companies, and for uh, and and also I think for the I'm going to talk about a little bit about what it means for the marketing professorate.